Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and I know many of you who are watching are going to be kind of shocked at what I'm about to tell you, but It's RainmakingTime.com has been using um, a piece of software called Thesis, which is a WordPress theme that was invented, I would say, many years ago. I think we got it in 2009. And I had to beg people, beg webmasters to trial this, to use it, because I was very impressed with the man who created it. Why was I impressed with the man who created it? Because he was so committed to making websites that are lean, that are, uh, are sites that the average person could build. He was trying to break away the firewall between webmasters and web designers and individual creatives and entrepreneurs so we could get going with our work and present and sell and distribute and have conversation in the blog sphere and online. But I want to tell you that when I lost my original web person who learned thesis, I could not, when I returned from Europe, find a single webmaster, not one that was willing to learn thesis or was willing to find out why this man spent so much time to create a breakthrough piece of software that the average person could use without having to be a coder, a designer, a webmaster, um, a developer. And I was very interested in blog software. I got WordPress. I thought it was doing the right thing and didn't really know because it's not my sphere that WordPress has a lot of things in it that make it extremely complicated. For example, I'm running PHP right now in 5.6, an old outdated piece of PHP, if you even know what that is. God, don't even ask me to describe it. And you go to update a theme and you have 34 plugins like I do, which is a nightmare. And people, you're basically dealing with a whole idiosyncratic space per person who's helping you on the net. Thousands upon thousands and thousands of dollars. So I have called in Chris Pearson, the owner of DIY Themes, who created Thesis because it's rainmaking time is being updated to his newer, uh, highly, highly developed software called Focus. And at the beginning, when I first saw Chris, I have to say that I was, I liked him, but I was nervous about him. I thought, could he be full of ego? Is he just like a persona, a personality, another idiosyncratic person that's on the net that I'll be stuck with and whose software I'll be stuck with? But as I watched him, I started to watch what was going on in the blogosphere and with WordPress and realized this man's really committed to the average user, he's committed to creative people, he's committed to entrepreneurs, and he's had it with a space that is not really revealing how complex it is to the average person. So I want you all to give a warm welcome to Chris Pearson from DIY Themes. We're going to talk about the inner workings of the blogosphere of WordPress, why he created Thesis and Focus, what they are, and so many of you can become freer and not in the bondage of the blogosphere and the online situation. Welcome, Chris Pearson, to It's Rainmaking Time. Thanks well, for thank being Thank you for having me, Kim. I've listened to your interviews, a lot of your interviews. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm probably one of the least technical people you're going to meet. I, I mean, I know we're doing this show and I got a lot of equipment, a lot of moving parts, but so does the internet and so does 
uh, WordPress have a lot of moving parts. Could you just explain this to the public? Because so many people want to get started and they'll write. But the minute you go to bring in a, a traditional theme, what happens? Well, if you're, if you, you know, set up a new website and you run WordPress and you choose any like free theme that's available out there, the ones that are included with it, or if you go select one of the zillion that are available, uh, what you're going to run into is a situation where if you are even able to get your site to a point where you, uh, you know, like say, okay, here's stage one of my website, you know, our first um, mission is complete. Now we can do whatever we're trying to do on the internet. If you're able to reach that point, there will come a time when you want to make some sort of change. You want to add some functionality, change this thing, move something around, something like this, and you will be completely unable to do it. And once upon a time, you could hire somebody <laughs> for cheap to maybe do some of this stuff. Um, and it was actually more technical back then than it is now in some ways, like someone was going to have to get dirty with code. But the reality 15 years ago is that everyone was sort of doing this. Everyone was sort of out there figuring it out. So you could just you know, tap somebody on the shoulder, say, hey, can you help me out with this? And the odds are pretty good. They, they've been dabbling in the same stuff as you and could actually you know, maybe give you some assistance. But what has happened over time is everyone's needs have become progressively more complicated. Uh, the entanglement of software that matures over time, the entanglements of, uh, you know, WordPress getting more bloated, these plugins being more complicated, more, uh, more nuanced and all these, you know, specialty features, all these things. Uh, you get somebody, you tap somebody to come in and help you with your website. When they're jumping into this really complicated environment, nobody can figure out what the hell to do, even if they're pretty good. And uh, what I began to notice, I mean, this is years ago, going back over a decade, I began to notice that I would get thrust into situations, you know, with a, an existing website or something like that. Somebody would ask me to consult on this website. And I would, you know, I, I know how to do everything that I need to do. I can get it done. But the situations were so bad, so <laughs> bad that I was unwilling to work on these websites. I just told people like, you know, you need to set a match to this thing and burn it and start over. Like you're, you're not getting out of this hole. And, and the, really, the problem comes from the fact that websites are not tangible things. Like, I can look out in my driveway. I see a Tesla. I know the Tesla costs $55,000. Wait a minute. You have a Tesla? I'm coming I have, over. I have Come a on. Tesla. <laughs> no, I know the Tesla oh costs like $55,000, whatever it is. And it seems nice. Like, I can justify all these things. Like, okay, it's, it's an expensive car. It's nice. Uh, this seems to justify the price. I can look at a lot of things and mess with it, touch on it in a lot of different ways. And feel like I'm getting the value back out of it. But with a website, a, a vast majority of your website is completely intangible, mostly invisible. And the back end for sure, right? It's complete. You don't know what you got. Absolutely. And the, the, the actual thing that developers are asking users to do is to say, enjoy your Tesla, but you can't see 95% of your Tesla. You can't interact with it. You can't understand how it's better than a, an alternative you know, an alternative solution because you can't, you can't see any of it. And so I've actually been trying to convince people for years that, Hey, all that stuff you can't see is real important and nobody cares, but me. So you should use my stuff for this reason alone, but that's not that compelling or persuasive because you can't see it. And that's really the problem. So because we can't see it, because we can't touch on it, interact with it really in the ways we would prefer, we, we think of it as a cheap thing, cheap, easy, 
Like if it's intangible, you know, I, I know if I got to weld a steel door and attach it to my car, this is a big thing. I'm going to be paying a lot of money for this activity. But when we want to put an email form on our website, we're like this is a little rinky dink thing, it's like putting a toy in a toy box. How hard could it be? By the way, which has been a nightmare for me. I mean, every single thing you're trying, every single thing from the plugins, do they relate? Does one interfere with the other? Does it like the version of WordPress you're using? Does it like the version of the theme you're using? I have been ready for a psychiatric ward dealing with my website. It's rainmakingtime.com. And and I've even hired people who were webmasters, one in Portland. She had a back-end person in Bangladesh. She was like 20 years old. He got his big ego involved in the thing. They told me I'm an old person and I like an old design. I said, listen, it's a media site. I have 420 shows there. People need to see easily find what they're looking for. They were making boxes upon box. The whole thing was like, like a box store. I was like, I can't present this. Oh, you want immersive stuff. You want, you should have immersive stuff. You have an old, you want to strip across the website. You're an old fogey. I mean, you can't even believe what I went through. Oh, I, 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 could, I would believe every you bit can. of it. I think I've, I've, I've seen everything you can see in the last 17 years, but here's the thing. So, it's funny to hear like they say like, oh, you like an old timey design or you're like an old person or whatever. Like I understand what they're saying and thinking. But the funny yeah, thing I'm, is, the funny thing is they don't know what they're talking about at all, at all. Here's, here's exactly what I mean by that. So <laughs> number one, like this, these designs, like if you go out and commission a design, okay, we're looking. So this is the whole mental model that everybody has is wrong. So we'll just explore the thing and I'll try to poke holes in it, show, show everybody why these they are terrible models to live by. So number one, we think about websites, we think about how they look, but we don't think about, we don't really think about how others' websites look and are like, ooh, ah, uh, and, and like we want to rank them or like, like, like we're uh, assessing somebody's outfit where we'd be complimentary of them and say, hey, that's cool. We, we look at somebody's web design and we think about how it relates to us. Like I might like something like that but we don't really think, oh, cool for you. Like we're going to go compliment this person because it's just a machine we're interfacing with. It's not, it's not a human interaction uh, in that way. And so we, we consume all these other designs that we see out on the internet. We think I might want something like this for myself. We relate it back to us. But what that is, is it is this mechanism is like a summary of all of our experiences up to this point. And what we don't realize is that we have really crappy data. We're looking at crap. Crappy websites. This is our crappy mental anchoring now. We're anchored to crappy designs that don't work. And we want these <laughs> things for ourselves because this is all we've seen. This is all we know. And what has happened, that works in little chunks, five-year periods, five years here, five years there. You can play copycat and get by for five years at a time. But every five years, things are going to change enough that your copycatting is going to land you in a bad place. Then you got to hit the reset button, start all over again, and probably copycat whatever's in the current epoch, whatever's popular. We're going to copycat that. And then five years from now, we deal with the same crap once again, where we're stuck. We can't do anything we want to do. And we have to, you know, update to this new thing. It's this vicious cycle that never ends. And it's because it's all based on the wrong stuff. So instead of looking around at other websites and thinking, oh, I'd like this big image up here and this, you know, couple things to scroll through here, stuff that users never engage with never engage with. Uh, instead of doing all that, we should examine how, how do users on the internet behave? And the reality is users on the internet have changed a lot in the last eight years in particular because of social media. 
We are conditioned. So describe describe that change, if you would. Describe yes. that change. If our you brains would. actually function differently on the internet now versus we'll, we'll go back to all the way to 2008, 2009 when you started rainmaking. Uh, I started selling thesis in 2008. So back then, blogs had become the primary means of discovery on the internet outside of search engines. In the very early days of internet, you had to go on the search engine. It was like opening a treasure box and who knew what you were going to find. Okay. So that was your, uh, we'll call this an infinite scroll, if you will. It's like you can just keep going down these rabbit holes, entering new search terms, scrolling forever, finding new links to things and discovering internet that way. Okay. That was a little bit too much of an open box. I mean, the, the, it was just infinity at the search bar. Blogs made it less infinity, but like in big chunks, big chunks we could digest. This site's about copywriting. I can go through, explore every page of this site and hopefully learn stuff about copyright. Or this one's about design. I'll go explore all this and learn all these Photoshop tricks, something like that. So we moved exploration away from the search bar to blogs, individual websites, because it humanized things and it also compartmentalized things, two things that we really like to do. Number one, we interface with a machine. So like think about you uh, calling a customer service number and uh, auto robo the, the phone tree <laughs> picks up and you're screaming representative into the phone until a human picks up because you don't want to do this. Many times. Humanize this damn thing as quick as possible. This is how people deal with the internet as well. So blogs entered and were perfect for this. Uh, they humanized things a little bit and gave you uh, compartmentalized interactions, a, a way to consume only this type of content, which is really uh, efficient. But... So, uh, social media feeds took that one step further and added uh, that infinite discoverability, humanization, because you knew who was posting, but um, it was like having the news delivered to you rather than you having to seek it out. So it, it played on this like this laziness thing and also just this, um, this infinite abundance when it comes to you. You're going to take it. You're, you're just going to take that every time. You're, not, you're no longer going to engage in going to a blog and uh, browsing infinite, infinite, aimless browsing is what I call it. You know, you're not going to do discovery on a blog. You're going to do it in a search bar or on social media. And what that changes about websites is that we no longer use them for discoverability. We are using them as an endpoint. It is a destination. So like something has to happen now when you go on a website. It's not a place to explore. Something has to happen. So like I'm going to watch a video, listen to a podcast, read a specific article with a skill that I'm trying to develop. Uh, sign up for something, buy this product, something very, very specific. So what is so interesting about this is that it's changed the transactional nature of what a visitor expects on a website, but the people who build websites, like myself, except for I'm the only one who has changed, they haven't changed. Still employing the same tired strategies with little bit of design upgrades, but it's the same stuff we were running in 2010. The same crap on a website, if you load up your average WordPress theme, it's still got the same elements on it that were present over a decade ago. So why do you think it is they don't get it? Uh, be, huh. What is it they don't understand? Is it fMRI? Is it the way the brain works? Is it exactly what you said about how social media has changed the landscape and the functionality of then relationally, what is a website? Well, social media has changed the behaviors, but... What we're asking developers to do is to be cognizant of these things that are really sort of outside of their immediate purview. And so 
your average developer, it's really not their job to notice all this stuff and to say, okay, this is how psychology has changed and behaviors have changed and we must uh, now accommodate this. Your average developer designers aren't going to be asking these questions, um, which is why these problems don't get solved without somebody like me. I mean, this, this is going to sound self-aggrandizing, but it's just the truth. This is not how companies operate. Companies are all very compartmentalized. They don't have a job totally title for Renaissance man. Well, that's my job. Uh, without me, these connections from different disciplines might be able to be seen, but to be put together in a way where the whole thing works is just not going to happen absent somebody like me. And the problem is there's just not that many me's out there. The reason there's not that many me's is not an aptitude thing. It is strictly a way that society works. You know, a lot of the talent that grew up when I did thought that the highest virtue was to get a job at Twitter or Facebook. That's what they did. They worked there for years. Basically became anonymous nobodies playing with goofy fringe internet stuff like, you know, how to animate some, some elements on a web page and stuff like this while people scroll. Like, who cares? That's not how websites even work. I think everybody's wasting their time with all this stuff. It's really maddening to watch. Um, you know, the last 15 years of the internet has not been uh, uh, this progression. Like, we kind of assume that technology just improves. Like, I don't know. I, from 1985 to 2005, video game consoles, like you know, Nintendo, Sega, all these things, they literally got twice as good every four years. There was a doubling of processing power, graphical presentation, all the stuff. It was getting twice as good every four years. And then that stopped. That's called Murphy's Law in computing. Right. Murphy's Law right. plateaued around 2005. And then it was sort of like, then you're making um, like stylistic judgments, like, oh, all these pairs of jeans are designer jeans. Which pair do you like? But there's not real like this pair is twice as good as these other pairs. It's twice as durable, twice as this, or it doesn't need to be washed or whatever it is. Like with, with, um, with, with computing power and that kind of thing, like it hit a wall and things, things change. Like, you know, when, when you expect this type of like generational improvement, and this is your way of life. And then it stops. Like, I feel like a reckoning is in order when those things happen. And what, what has happened, like just total stagnation on the internet. We haven't really seen very many gains to speak of. One of the reasons that I'm attracted to your work and your mind is because what you're doing, in my view, I have a company called The Rainmaking Company. I've been a consultant. I've helped uh, develop products, bring them to market strategically for entrepreneurs and for pioneers, is because you are using a whole systems approach to solve everything connected to being online. And the reason that there's one of you, okay, is because that thinking and what whole systems is and what it means and why it works and why it's not only evolutionary, but revolutionary. And you can develop the greatest next thing using it, but it's not known. It's not understood. And you're dealing with people in a universe that are dealing with their parts. It's like a part of the elephant, you know? It's like, I touched the leg, so I got it. That's a webmaster, okay? They're not connecting all the other aspects and elements of what's happening on the net the way you are. And that's why I'm attracted to your work and your mind and the way you're in front of it, thinking about how to make it better, not just for a web developer who knows HTML, PHP, or a database work, but for someone who doesn't, 
And that, to me, could free hundreds and millions of people from the bondage of this space that hasn't evolved. Yeah, it's, it's only gotten worse. I have this origin story from 2005. So I, I had been working in uh, f- prepaid phone cards and I quit that job and I went on a vacation and I bought a book on web design. I read this book on vacation, <laughs> got back home, was like, by God, I'm going to build a bunch of websites. So I sat about doing that, but it took me like, you know, I was all gung ho. So I'm like buying all the stuff to do it. And I'm like ready to do it right now, you know? And it turns out I had to wade through about 36 hours of technical crap just to get a website online and working. And I'm still scarred to this day about like how many concepts I had that I had no clue existed. I had to learn and wade through and all this extremely technical crap that like I really wasn't ready for. Uh, Certainly wasn't, that wasn't what I was excited about doing. Uh, And just to get that site online. I just couldn't believe like web hosting and buying the domain and connecting them. Like, man, this is really technical. This is 2005 people. We've had internet for 11 years and this stuff is still way beyond the pale, way so inaccessible to most people, like no chance. Right. I was a 24 year old kid with engineering background and like gumption by God, I was shaking this out, but no one else was like, it was a joke. (laughs) And so I, but the whole, my first five years online were really colored by the scarring of that incident because like I had compassion for other people doing this. I'm like, you're going to go through hell for something that looks simple and that's going to suck for you. And I want to like hold your hand a little bit or something to help you get through this to get to where I got. Cause I mean, it, it is rewarding at, at, after a point, but most people are like, you know, attrition, getting people out of here. They're not completing that journey, even at the, the very early stages. So I've been scarred by that forever and it never really goes away. And so like what I've seen develop specifically in the last 11 years is like brought all that back again, just in a different way. Now it's in a more complex, more technical, more software-based way. It's not just like getting a server to work. God help you there. It's still terrible. But uh, dealing with the software that we use to run our websites has become, it's a disaster, but it's one of these slow moving disasters that it's like, there's not a, there's not a real magnificent explosion that everybody can point to and say, ha, you were right, Chris, that was a disaster. No, it's a slow moving thing where it's not a disaster until you open up your site, decide to make one change. You get some guy from Pakistan to do it. And then you look at it on mobile. Your friend tells you <laughs> two days later, the shit doesn't work at all. And you're like, well, I don't know how to solve that. You try to get him, you know, numbers disconnected. Can I say something here, uh, Chris? It seems like in what you're saying right now, it's an to the end to to the customer who's paying a webmaster it's an imperceptible imperceptible accumulating accumulative thing that's happening where it becomes untenable and unmanageable i'm living it now i'm living it okay i mean I'm we got it. a term for this it's technical debt and um it's too bad but one of the major disciplines that elevates a developer above other developers is the way they manage technical debt over time, their awareness of it, their commitment to squashing it. And most of all, this is the hardest part by far, their commitment to building software that doesn't enable users to accumulate technical debt very easily. Uh, And also that requires stuff that's beyond development. It requires outreach and communication 
And like having a holistic communication strategy with a lot of stuff out there that's teaching materials to say, hey, do this, don't do this. Uh, and I'm telling you, when you really look at it and you really see it all in total, it, it's a lot of work. So it doesn't happen. And it's too damn bad because this technical debt is crushing. This ruins websites. So like your website, if, if you didn't have the show and you didn't have a reason to go on, it would certainly die. You would st- like not get from the stage you're at now to the next stage. It just would be too much. Well, let me just tell you something. Everything is so depreciated. I can't update anything right now. I mean, except WordPress itself. I've got 32 or 34 plugins. And every person I ever hired to help me with the site in this pro- in the process where I couldn't find somebody who would learn focus or who would learn thesis, et cetera, added more plugins that they liked, not knowing would they even work with other plugins? Would it depreciate the site? Would it cause all kinds of problems? Sure. In compatibility. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I could go down this rabbit hole. It's too, it's too technical. It's too much. But bottom line, adding anything to a site should be a massive red flag. It should be a decision that is not only not taken lightly, but one that like goes through the strictest review, the most, um, just the most, you know, like, it's so critical whenever you add anything to your site to understand the full scope of what is happening. If I do this, then these are the consequences. But we never talk about costs. If you I mean, just think about all your interactions with developers, designers, anyone you've paid to work on websites, do they ever, ever speak about cost? And not just money costs. I'm talking about all the other types of costs. The ramifications, the collateral damage. I'll give you one. I'll give you an example right now. It's very important the public hear this. I just went through this. <laughs> I'm moving away. I moved. It's rainmaking time away from GoDaddy. Anyway, and I moved it to a more media-hosted, experienced location, okay? And I went to migrate the site. Don't even ask what I went through with GoDaddy. But anyway, and then the new hosting site said, we can't accept your site because there's a virus, there's a, a virus in the database. And I was going through help. And remember, I have no webmaster now. So someone says, go to Codable. So I go to Codable, and they say they have vetted all these people. I'm not saying they haven't. And I end up hiring this guy, and he goes in, and he says, you have five, this is what he says, you have 5,000 spam comments on your comment section of the website. (laughs) And you have a virus, and I can get rid of that. Oh, you want the spam comments taken out? That's another hour of development time. So I'm looking, I'm going back and forth. I'm doing the research. I'm like 5,000 comments. I don't see it on the back end, but you know, I'm not a database person. So what do I know? I ended up not hiring him to do the spam comment thing. So I hire another person. Okay. From Codable goes in to do the job. This is a vetted person supposedly. And he goes in and he writes me the same day he's supposed to get rid of it. And he goes, how can you distinguish between spam comments and real comments? I just said, excuse me, you've had a week to figure this out. You, you don't know this. You're asking me, a non-developer, a non-coder, a non-what, like, we're done. And I fired him right there. Well, so we've kind of uh, glossed over. Does that make that, sense? Oh, it Does makes total make s- sense. Nothing would surprise me at this point. I've heard it all. But, but I mean, can you imagine this? And, I, and then I, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah unfortunately, yes. So I, I'm something that I think about all the time 
is this notion that you're just kind of glossing over like, oh yeah, this is what we do. Hiring somebody to help you with your website. Oh, First of all, I've been I'm impressed years. that you have even been dedicated enough to do this multiple times. But second of all, I just have to share with everyone, my confidence level on you hiring anybody to help you with your website Mine is, is zero. absolute Thank you. zero. <laughs> We're using Kelvin's here. Can we get absolute can, Oh my zero. God. You know, it's one thing when you say it, but when I, I've looked, honestly, Chris, for years, they, years. And the thing is, I would get in and ask the questions, like the first guy about the virus, I said, how long does it take to get rid of the thing if it's already been identified? You know, is it a plugin you're using? Are you manually doing this? I mean, I got such concocted answers. Then when I hired the second guy and he's asking me, this is a vetted person. He's asking me, well, how do I distinguish? After he's saying how he could take care of it. I told him everything about the site, all the plugins. He had screenshots. He knew the version of WordPress. He knew I was running Thesis. Yes, it's an older version of Thesis, but still didn't know the distinction between a common spam that the first guy identified and said there's 5,000. I don't see that at the back end. I went out of my mind. So we're here. I mean, understandable. These are the war stories that people need to be hearing. But it's like, I think people nobody just knows who's listening. This, nobody people knows just who's gloss listening. over this whole thing. And they think, oh, I'll be able to, I'll be able to hire somebody. Like, no, you won't. I'm gonna tell you right. Look, list, look at this. Listen, you will not be able to hire anybody. Nobody's helping you. If you believe you have been able to successfully hire somebody who is actively helping you, I promise they are screwing up your website so badly you'll never get it back. You'll discover in two years that they have created untold damages, done something that I call idiosyncratic customization touch points. Oh which my means God. You take an action now on some page of your site or something like that. If you take this action now and you want to change this thing sometime in the future, you've got to go back and address exactly this point. Now you might think, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, it's I got news a major deal. I have a website that has 863 pages on it and I had to do a generational update and my I've been good about avoiding idiosyncratic customization touch points through the years. And I spent about four months nonstop going through doing that, not building new software, not creating new copy, not writing emails, not getting new customers, not doing a goddamn thing except cleaning up my website. Now, that sucks. Most people could not tolerate this. Most people wouldn't tolerate this. Some people who are... Um, you know, more entrepreneurially minded, like cannot stand to let the numbers just go stagnant because they got to do other stuff. And in fact, most people, most people will not be patient and fix the problem. They will just focus on something else and create more compounding problems. And then they wonder a couple of years down the road why their life's such a damn mess. It's like you never, you never hit the pause button and get it right. You're just operating on top of all this garbage, whether you know it or not, or want to admit it or not. And we need to fix it. We need to fix this garbage. Websites are broken. I want to talk to you right here at the juncture of recognizing as a customer that uses websites, that uses themes, when there's been idiosyncratic customization, including webmasters just blindly or just idiosyncratically putting more and more and more plugins. When you go to transfer a site, the content from the site, like it's rainmaking time, we're, I'm building a new, a, a totally new everything using focus. God help me. Anyway, uh, so the last person that was assisting me said, okay, well, I'll just pluck out individually the articles, the MP3s, the videos. I mean, it, I said, isn't there a better, an easier way to get this stuff out? 
whatever happened, whether this updated or that updated, I haven't seen comments on its rainmaking time for six months. One showed up the other day after the guy I fired did something, but nothing shows up, but it's in the database. I can see it in the back end. It's the, the, I want the public to understand that I'm a living example of what you, Chris, are doing what you're doing to prevent. I'm yeah, in it. I mean, I'm, I, I'm a living example of this as well. I'm just, just sharing with everybody like here, I'm, I'm way down the road. I'm way ahead of you. I already, I already cleared all this brush. You're going to fall into a couple of pits here. Let me help you avoid them. I'm in the you know? pit right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we all, we, so I feel kind of bad about this, but everybody, anyone who got big before 2012 was in a pit. And if you still have that website today, like you got to do a generational sort of movement into this new frontier to get it all right. But uh, that's the nature of the beast when you operate somewhere for a long time. But uh, yeah, I mean, all, I'm super concerned about these experiences like that you're talking about that I have had. And also going back, bring back the other point about having no faith in hiring somebody. A lot of people might be watching this thinking, well, what do I do? I'm not really inclined to do it myself. And here's the thing. So I, I, earlier I said that, you know, websites were intangible. We can't see everything that's going on. So we kind of regard them as this simple, must be easy sort of thing. And now that we have a sense that, oh, maybe it's not that easy. What do we do? And I still hold on to this idea that, yes, it is actually pretty simple. The basic ideas are pretty simple. The basic connections with our visitors are pretty simple. They're actually getting simpler all the time. Mobile devices have, have been a yeah. clarifying factor. They have made things simpler. You can only do so much on a tiny little mobile screen. Uh, social media, another clarifying factor. People are literally getting high on social media feeds all the time, like a couple of a bunch of internet zombies. And when we you mean wrestle off the that dopamine, the dopamine drip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when we wrestle a little bit of attention away from social media and get those people onto our sites, we have a single job, a single job to convert them in whatever way we wish to convert them that that serves us. Uh, that could be something as simple as just reading something we wrote. It could be something as complex as selling them something uh, or, or, or starting a new relationship, you know, like a client relationship or something else. Uh, but that that clarifying all these things that are happening in the landscape that really clarify what our mission is, these are great because these create a scenario where we actually may be able to run a simple website. And, you know, I've been at this for, my business is 14 plus years old um, with, with themes specifically. And, you know, focus is built for you to not have to hire anybody, but to be able to create pages individual pages with unique characteristics and cool design elements within the content. So like, you know, you got your passage of text, you've got an image out to the right, you've got a, a horizontal interruption with an important point, you've got, you know, a, a highlighted box, all these types of things, these text elements that are exciting, that make pages unique and, and visually interesting. To be able to create all that stuff from the comfort of your WordPress admin literally from within the editor. So I don't want people thinking like, I don't want you thinking about design. You're not a designer. You might be thinking, but you like everybody is familiar with going into like Microsoft Word and formatting text in ways that they want. And depending on which formatting elements you give people, 
They are going to use more, you know, more of what's available and do more dynamic things. That's all accessible to everybody. Playing around with a word processor, I believe in you. I think you can do this. Messing around with code, getting involved with plugins and understanding impact between A, B, and C. I don't have confidence that you can do this. I don't have confidence because the developers are crappy. The information you're going to receive from those developers is crappy. Your own knowledge of the whole system is probably crappy. So is theirs. Like there's no holistic anything here. So why would I have confidence in these uh, complex second order functions? I would not have any confidence in this at all. However, like I said, we stick to what I'm setting out there with focus and we acknowledge what the actual transaction is with visitors in 2022, thanks to social media and everything else that's happened. It's actually pretty simple. And we can stick within a very simple set of guardrails and run fast websites that just get to the damn point. All we have to do is get over this ego trip of like wanting to have this really fancy presentation. And the, the, the cruel reality of this is nobody cares. Nobody cares what your fancy presentation is. They're in line at Chipotle. They just clicked on a freaking link and a tweet and they just want to see what's on the damn page. They don't want to wait 10 minutes for the shit to load on a crappy connection. You know, they're just going to scroll through a bunch of stuff at the top anyway. And wouldn't you say also that now versus 10 and 12 years ago is that every, it's almost like everybody's a podcaster. If you have a mouth, you're a podcaster. And so everybody's podcasting, everybody's on video. It's the me generation of, look at me, I'm blah. I mean, it's, it, it's so true. And so as, as a, a consequence of this is that your, your, your internet audience at large expects to see particular patterns, but most of the patterns that we recognize, we recognize because we use them to simplify our experience, which means we ignore them. I recognize a pattern. I know I don't have to put, like, I, I know what a, a podcast play, uh, you know, thing embed looks like in a web page. I know I don't give a shit about this person's podcast. I'm completely ignoring that element. I'm looking for, if I happen to be on this page, I'm looking for something else on that page because I damn sure I'm not looking for that. So we don't realize how much people have blinders on. You know, if I get someone to my site, here's a perfect thing. I, I hope people really take this to heart. <laughs> if I get someone to land on my a web page of my site, I've got so much stuff to offer. I've got content sequences I'd love to put them through that I know would enlighten them and help them like give some direction on their internet journey. I have software I want to sell them. I have software within my software I would like for them to know exists. So they might be able to buy that too, or that might be more persuasive on my main piece of software. There's all kinds of uh, deep you know, complex things that I might like people to understand or at least see, you know, I got you on my website. Can you, can I at least show you all the stuff I have to offer? And the reality is no, you cannot. They don't care. They don't care. If I get someone on a page of my site, they're there for that page. And that page's job is to, to deliver on the promise that brought the user to that page. The job of that page is not to showcase all the other shit I have to sell. That's not why they're there. They're just going to ignore it. They're going to ignore the established patterns that they already know exist so that they can focus on the things that they want to focus on. Social media has made this so that you can't ignore this. You have to respect this mechanism now or you're going to lose and you're going to continue to lose even more as we move into the future when this mechanism gets solidified as the way we operate. And so I can tell this to people. They can nod their heads like, yeah, boy, that, that makes a lot of sense. They still can't do it on their own website. They cannot get out of their own way. Ego is too big. They still want to have a gigantic freaking navigation menu on this page with 27 links and a thing that reveals on hover to show more links. This is not how people work. 
you even the simple presence of a navigation menu with like five links in it, let's say, you are asking them to read all five links and to analyze what they might mean to them and to make a decision about whether or not this is worth clicking on. It's amazing. Uh, Social media has made it so that the mere presence of a navigation menu on your webpage might be a killer, a conversion killer. Isn't that a totally different thing than 12 years ago, though? Remember? That's what I'm saying. We're all stuck in it's these like models. another models. You, you almost can't accept right? this. Yeah. Yeah. These are all real things, though. I mean, you can watch the way um, uh, an eye tracking study of the way people use a web page. Anything that fits a pattern that they have seen many times, it just total ignore. The eyes will dart to the leftmost side of a video. And if they know this, right. it goes straight down the page. And then they'll start to dart out to the right if there's anything interesting. But uh, people move vertically down pages. They ignore elements they see a lot of that are not like completely relevant to whatever they're trying to consume. Like if they clicked from Twitter to your page and the first thing on your page is a video and that's what they think they're going to do, yes, they will watch the video. But if that's not the one-to-one transaction, ignore. Do you remember years ago there was this uh, fMRI, which you know tracks brain, what the brain does when it goes on a page? There was a lot of information about the fMRI technology tracking, you know, it's, it's, it's um, what is it called? It's called neuro, neuromarketing, you know, the big marketers. You go to the left-hand side of the page. There was that whole thing. Do you remember that or no? Ever hearing well, I mean, about? Various, this comes so, up in various uh, disciplines, but it, it's basically just known as visual anchoring. And yeah. so uh, basically what we do when we re- when we read, especially if we're like, in a country where we left to right, you know, like Hebrews right to left, some other languages are right yeah. to left. We're just talking left to right here. Uh, when we read left to right, our eyes look for text, images, and pattern interruptions. So it could be a headline, could be a caption, things like this that kind of interrupt the visual hierarchy. But our eyes stay to the left and dart out to the right. It's sort of like, imagine you're rappelling down a mountain on a rope. You're holding the rope. You might try to reach out and touch some other things, but you were holding that rope the whole time. The left side visual anchor in English speaking countries, uh, the visual that serves as a visual anchor. Visual anchoring is incredibly important. That's why focus comes with two modes. It'll run in readability mode, which gives you a left side visual anchor, or you can run it in focus mode, which is more popular, which gives you a content, a column of text in the middle of the page. And people like that because it's a balanced presentation. People like balanced presentations when it's them presenting something to others. But it's funny, when you flip that to consumption, people prefer the readability mode of consumption. So I offer both both modes in focus. And like I said, focus mode with the column of text in the center is more popular and does promote uh, symmetrical presentations. The reality of usage is that that is not as good as a left side visual anchor. And yet you're going with it. Is that for novelty? Is that for like... I uh, still do it because uh, uh, symmetry is kind of important with the way my software site is presented. Like for the, for yeah. the way that I present some of these soft... Uh, I'll have like something on the left and something on the right to use that horizontal real estate. And there's some meaning there. If there wasn't, I would just do everything vertically oriented and not care. But there is some meaning to that. And so it's it just a balance on page. But I also know that that's what people are looking for. And I sell more if that's how my page is presented, as maddening as that may be. So I'm, I'm not a perfect Fascinating. I, I sin, no. I, but I sin, you know, when I, when I need to <laughs> sin, when it benefits me. <laughs> 
Okay, I like that. Uh, I'd like you also to talk a little bit about uh, the video and audio side. If you're not using plugins or embeds on a, on it with focus and thesis, now I got something confused. You're still, the person who buys focus is still using thesis as the backdrop. Is that correct? Yeah. So and what focus, happened? Nobody like, understands this, but in 2012, I released thesis two. This was a complete change in my entire career. And the change was actually a function of the way the software worked. So Thesis 1, which you still use on your site, worked a, a particular way. It was a departure from normal WordPress themes at the time, but it wasn't so great a departure that it was like 100% different, right? It was just uh, developers who ended up working with it realized that this was a better way to kind of interface with WordPress. Mm -hmm. But I knew from dealing with it for years, I, I, I saw the light at some point and realized what was actually possible. And where we were was in such like an infant sort of stage. And what was possible was just, just this unbelievable uh, efficiency gains in like every way. Basically, this isn't going to mean anything probably, but HTML is static code in a file. That's the code that make behind a web page. Static code in a file. And you could just influence that by typing in the file itself back in the day with old WordPress themes. I made it so that that code didn't live in a file anymore. I made it so that it was alive within the computer, within the server, and you could talk to it and you could say, hey, you're the header element on this page. You can have these qualities and you can have, you know, this thing has uh, an admin page on the back end that you can influence its qualities and other interactions and stuff. So it can have advanced functionality and can be extended. So it, 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 I made it living HTML. HTML was a dead static thing on a page. And I turned it into something that lived within computer memory and could be changed, updated, modified on the fly to uh, ask to behave differently in various situations way more dynamic, way more useful, and actually fulfilled the promise of computer science, which heretofore, nothing within WordPress had, had truly ever done. Uh, WordPress does not, um, it's not completely object-oriented software. If this were presented uh, for a grade in a computer science class, WordPress would score <laughs> no better than a C. I would give it an F. Um, it, it's garbage. Like it doesn't even pass muster for a 101 computer science course in the way that it is built. Um, I remember when I first realized that I was like, sort of like, like blown away. I was like, wow, we have all this foundational knowledge about computer science. And yet the stuff that runs the world completely rejects it. It's just total crap. And this is reality. It's actually a good lesson for anyone becoming an adult, but that's a, it's a topic for another day. But um, the but reality yet, is... Yeah, I just to clarify, go ahead. Go ahead. And then I want to clarify. All right. So in 2012, I released this, this living HTML version of thesis. So it was a total departure from what you used, which came before. Uh, the name was the same, but it's like there was no continuous upgrade from the old to the new. It was like right. a full cutoff. This thing is different. This works differently. The new thesis had something called skins, which you could run on it, which were different designs, but they were still running on the thesis engine. I experimented with that for six years, realized that it wow. was a complete failure, primarily because I wanted other people to build skins. I was going to have this like app store type marketplace and just have dozens and dozens. Of I wish you would. Uh, no, you don't. You think you do, no? but you don't. I thought that was true. Also, I learned that that was not really? true. The reason it was not true is that no one else has any imagination whatsoever. 
They're not committed <laughs> to performance. They're not committed to streamlining things. It just became this infinite canvas that was expanding faster than I could keep up. And that meant problems were coming in faster too. Problems coming in at an ever-increasing rate. So that meant that if I stayed on that path, my issues were only going to get bigger and all the pressures on me were only going to increase. And if sales were not increasing at at least the same rate- You'd lose that Tesla. <laughs> it was never gonna, it's just like, you can withstand stress. I mean, like there's one way of putting it, but like if your cash flow is a hundred grand a month, you can basically withstand up to about a hundred grand a month of stress. And whatever, whatever that means to you, a hundred grams worth of stress. Mm -hmm. But uh, once those scales are you know, tilted out of balance, you got to make a change. And so I reached the point where I was not having the, uh, the problems or exceeding the, uh, the input, the income. And so I realized I had to, had to make a change. And what the issue was, that infinite canvas of skins, which I had wanted to build. I built a thing to build this. And then I had to realize that that dream I wanted was actually not going to work for people. What was going to work for people was for me to build the one skin that had infinite flexibility, that did all the fundamental things correctly. And what this has done has cut down on support issues. I can solve any problem. You could tell me something about your site if it were running focus, and I would already know exactly what the problem is. It takes me zero seconds to diagnose and troubleshoot anything. Everything works according to very particular patterns. It's all very straightforward, very clear. I have no problems. I could, I could have an AI bot do my support and not lift a finger for the next 10 years. I'm quite confident. It's that streamlined. I mean, people don't realize how profound that is. Like if you got to look at, uh, here's a theme that's real popular. It's called Elementor. If you got I know, to see I bought Elementor's it. I bought it. Uh, please. <laughs> yeah. If you, could, if you could get in their organization, see their support queue, you'd want to kill yourself. The amount of requests that come in, the idiosyncratic nature of these, they're from all over the goddamn map. It's a plug-in uh, conflict over here. It's a responsive design problem over there. I mean, it is just this, that, and the other, and there's no connection between any of it. It's just all an And boxes problem. upon boxes upon boxes upon boxes Absolutely. upon boxes upon boxes, what you see as a website. I'm not sure I how thought it was gonna die. people that they've got employed there, but- it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a lot because you're fighting idiosyncratic fires all of the time. And you know, it's a shame that company's making $20 million a year of sucker money, absolute sucker money, because people don't know. They think, well, if I can do 8,000 things on my website, that must be good, right? This must be worth paying for. And I'm saying, you can only do 814 things, and I hope you only do about 16 of these things with focus. I mean, I'm, I'm literally selling you uh, guardrails. You know, nobody really wants to buy guardrails. It's not quite like that, but it is effectively true. I'm selling you something where you're not going to hurt yourself. If you just stick to what I say, you're going to have something you can run for 10 years. It's not going to be a pain in the ass. I can solve any problem. I'm, I'm you know, one support request away for absolute clarity. You get answers from me if you buy my software because the, there's the, the, it's so patternized. All the problems are so easy for me to deal with. Like it takes zero effort for me to troubleshoot for others and that's amazing. Like you can work with me or you can try to hire a guy in Pakistan. Choose wisely here. Choose your fighter. Who are you gonna who are you gonna go with? You know, it's it's um it's baffling to me that we've gotten so far down this road that this is the reality that we can actually talk about today. Like really. I wanna go back to one part of it because I uh I feel that I have been in the I am a creative. And so not that you're not a creative, but I'm just saying I 
recognize that I do want the website to look pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do want well, it to present. I want it. I want it to 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 be inviting. However, you translate that. I want if there's graphics of any kind, it to be inviting. Okay, and not a dead thing. I mean, well, let me address that I can, real quick. Yeah, yeah. So this is how people think about websites. And this is actually when I talk about this topic, I have uh, some degree of reticence, I guess, uh, or like feeling like I may not connect with the people I'm speaking to because I know that we perceive a, a delightful aesthetic as something visual, some image element, okay? Right. Some delightful text, some color, Something like this, some harmonious mixing of these basic elements. The problem is on internet, as soon as you introduce an image, your page is way less efficient. Now, I'm not saying no images. I'm saying extremely judicious use of images, extremely prejudiced, only use it if it's absolutely advancing your mission. This is not what people but wait, do. I want to stop you right there. But I know you got more to say about it, but... Isn't the thing a picture's worth a thousand words still true? If it's worth a thousand words, we could do a little tour of internet. If I could take you around like the ghost of Christmas past and show you all these websites we've seen for the last 12 years, it would be 98% garbage images that have nothing to do, non sequiturs, no relation to the items on the page, not advancing the plot in any meaningful way, just kilobyte waste. Okay. All right. So... I could get that. I can get that. People are putting images just to have them on the page. Yeah. Well, so like a lot of teams are designed so that you have this huge hero image on the homepage. And this is what people want. Like literally, this is why people, this is my attempt with the theme. Okay, great. Your homepage loads in seven seconds because you loaded up a three megabyte image from your iPhone just so you could have a big picture of your mug on the homepage that nobody gives a shit about anyway. All they're doing is trying to scroll to whatever's actionable. Your goofy face there isn't actionable. You know, it's just... These decisions are not made. He wasn't talking to me, ladies. <laughs> yeah. These decisions aren't made with the right, um, with the thinking. right thinking behind them. They're yeah. just not. They're made for egotistical reasons, but we all have to acknowledge the visitor doesn't care about you. The visitor cares what you can do for them right now. I get it. Now, in something like It's Rainmaking Time, which brings on, I used to do a show or sometimes two shows a week or whatever, but I only do a special a month now, okay? I've kind of had it trying to depend on so many people and so many moving parts, et cetera. So when I interview somebody like yourself, we're going to want a picture that you like of you, right? You got to do that for a, a, a thumbnail. Right, your well, that's what I'm saying for a thumbnail, yeah. exactly. But when it goes up on WordPress, it's not just a thumbnail, it's a picture and then a little write-up and then the audio, and the video. Yeah, I mean, that's, choose what to they me, like. that's the exact content you need on a podcast page. Right. This is what people expect to see or want to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, everybody would have an image, not just as a thumbnail, but they'd have an image on the page. Perfectly and I want to clarify, yeah, and I want to clarify something too. In WordPress, there's posts, you know, where you do the writing, Oh, don't do and this. Oh, pages. Lord. I'm confused. All right. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. Because now I'm We're, verklempt with the whole thing. This, this, is, this is the best gateway into seeing how overcomplicated everything is. Everything you go to on the internet, 
It's just a web page. It's not this kind of page. It's not that kind. It's just a page. So the fact that WordPress introduced posts versus pages has already gaslit the entire population. We have no hope of understanding this now. You think one <laughs> thing is actually two. <laughs> you think one thing is two. I, I probably can't help you now. How can we do math when you think one thing is two? But here's the thing. Here's, here's why WordPress made that oh distinction. A post had a meaningful chronology associated with it and could be broadcast automatically using technology that we don't use anymore, which I'll talk about in just a second. And a page was just, a chronology didn't matter and it didn't need to be broadcast automatically. So that was the distinction, post first page, when the, the cold reality is that everything is just a page. And which is a way simpler mechanism for understanding what's going on. Now, sure. the difference is that back in the day, there was a technology called RSS, really simple syndication. I remember. It was attached to blog posts so that when you published it, it would ping addresses in this RSS network and they would receive a notification that, hey, your site has just published a new piece of content and you can access it through these RSS channels. RSS was the last thing, truly the last technology on the internet that was a decentralized technology. Everything that has happened since RSS went, received you know, widespread mainstream adoption has been centralized in nature and it literally exists to defeat the mechanism of something like RSS, the decentralized mechanisms. The entire internet- God. has been on a ruthless path of, path of centralization since 2007. It's, this goes hand in hand with this idea that everything's more complicated than it used to be. Here's what's not more complicated. You hopping on Twitter, you just go sign up and now you can start posting and you got your own thing. You can interact with others right now. That's Until the Until you're benefit. canceled. That's or the shadow benefit banned. of centralization. The, the, uh, you know, the demerit the thing it takes away is you don't have any control. You don't own your content. You could be canceled tomorrow. Uh, you're at the whims of whatever behavioral controls others want to impose upon you. And you also don't have any means to communicate with others outside of this. You would have to go forge your own trails. Now, with your website, for example, RSS you know, could, could push out a notification to others that something has happened on your site and they can come visit you if you want, but they can't cancel your site just from having this knowledge, right? Others can access your content, but no one else has any control over your content, only you do. We've given up that control for the ease of sign up and onboarding, literally our onboarding process, which, which is a perfect callback to remember my origin story, hating this process of just getting my damn website online. The tech industry looked at that and said, that's actually too complicated for us to solve. Let's just use these centralized Borgs, shove everybody into them, make this onboarding process look easy. We will control the entire internet. And this will just be a, an easier way to get from A to B. They were absolutely I gotta tell you correct. Something. They were correct. And let me tell you something. In 2020, 2019 in December, I shot a two-hour piece with Dr. Edwin Vera called Calling in the Constitution. It was the first film-like thing I've ever done. He is one of the most brilliant minds in the realm. And I made a, I think it was a 30-second spot of him in a couple, in, in, within that two hours. Put it on Twitter. 
I was sh- I actually watched the whole thing get shadow banned, slowed down, unable to move it past like I think it was like fifteen, letting fifteen people know. I was so aggravated, and this also happened on YouTube. It also happened on Facebook. I was shadow banned and blocked, and to me, this is all censorship. And I took it down. I was done. I was literally done. I'm not done with getting it out there, but I'm just giving you an example. I've I've been there. I know. Now you have something in your toolbox, right, to deal with this. I do. Don't you I uh, talk about I, that. So I, I hate, so cancel, we'll talk about cancellations real quick. Online cancellations. Yeah. I actually got canceled before it was cool. I got canceled by WordPress in 2010 for disagreeing with the uh, orthodoxy that was being put out from the top. So me and uh, the founder of WordPress, Matt Mulweg, had a very uh, infamous public dispute in July of 2010. I heard it. I heard the whole thing. Go ahead. I basically <laughs> said, nah, I'm not going to do what you want. I don't agree with the premise. I honestly don't understand the whole thing. I never never woke up with this burning desire to make this change prior to you telling me this. So why is this now the most important thing in the world when you tell me when it's never come up on my own before? You know, if it didn't come from me, you know, I, no one gets to come from third party from the outside and say, hey, you got to do this. Like, what are you talking about? You don't get, you know, my urgency doesn't come from you, buddy. It comes from within. So I didn't like that whole thing. A lot of people didn't like the way I reacted. Sort of, I was sort of a uh, a caged animal in response. Yeah, I, I, so, rem- I, I, I remember and understand. Being, uh, being uh, defensive in a way they didn't like. They wanted to see me kiss the ring. But a lot of people are sheep. So it's sort of, sort of uh, to be expected that there would be a lot of negativity. I never imagined the degree of negativity I would actually have to endure over the next like three, four years. It went on forever. And yeah. basically that really affected the trajectory of my business. Like completely changed it. Everything changed that day that I got canceled from WordPress. Um and WordPress what does that mean? Inter- what, what can you tell me? Tell us all. What does that mean to be canceled? From yes, WordPress? That, so what does at that the mean? time, WordPress would amplify themes and plugins through their own little distribution network within the software. So I was banned okay. from those. Uh, in addition, WordPress Automatic, the company that initially owned WordPress and then spun it off into a foundation, but still provided editorial direction for the platform. This company called Automatic. They also owned a centralized, easy onboarding solution called WordPress.com, where you could go sign up for your own blog. You didn't own it, but you, is you, that you did that .org content. or .com? Is that the that .org one? Okay. .org is the freestanding one that you've been using forever. So anyway, on WordPress.com, I had the two most popular themes on WordPress.com in 2010 when this went down. The licensing was such that they were supposed to retain my attribution on those themes forever. I created them. They were supposed to, even if they didn't like it, they were supposed to keep my attribution there forever if they were going to adhere to their own licensing rules. In the event, in the wake of that cancellation, after I was not allowed to have my software promoted through the internal tools in WordPress, they took my themes off of WordPress.com temporarily, had this guy remix them a little bit, changed the name of them, and removed all my attribution. This was their way of getting around the licensing, even though what they did is technically illegal, according to their own terms. But it didn't matter. They, they were the gatekeepers and the rule makers, so they're not going to you know, chastise themselves because they broke their own rules, right? They had a reason. They wanted to cancel me. So they did that. And then they had also started this new initiative called WordCamps, which was in real life, in-person meetups to promote 
things within the WordPress space. I was banned and my company was banned from all of those now and forever. Amen. So I was never allowed to uh, interact with the platform. I was also banned from doing support tickets or not support tickets, but like uh, development bug tickets on their bug ticketing system and from contributing to the platform and improving it in any way. <laughs> so they shut me out from all avenues and basically had to use um, what I'm going to call third-party social ostracization. So they ostracize me by saying, hey, if you interact with this guy, you're associating with the devil. You don't want to do that. So you better not interact with this guy. So that's what they did. because I remember that. I remember yeah. it being stigmatizing to interact with you. Yeah, stigmatizing. I even remember somebody in the WordPress space who was very well known in my ear putting you down for, you know, the work you were doing. But see, I was interested in your dedication and your passion for advancing everything. I, cause I'd never seen anybody like that. No, nobody. I mean, I, I was There's just not to, a developer stuff from the future anywhere. to give us new tools right. and was getting, you know, killed for this stuff, you know, cause people wanted other things. I'm like, nah, I'm going to focus on what I'm already focusing on, which is solving these problems. You guys want to talk about stuff that doesn't matter. Does a software license affect the way your software works? No, it doesn't crunch any code. It doesn't run. It doesn't do shit. So why are we talking about a software license? Like this is a non sequitur to me. I don't. How did you get out of? Matter. How did you get out from under that to be able to have your theme and your skins work with WordPress? Then in the now they were they. It would have been very difficult difficult for them to programmatically shut me out, and that would have probably. I think they understood that was going to be a bridge too far, even with the people who hated me. Uh, it would have set a, a just, I mean, they already set a bunch of corrosive precedents that they are reaping today. There's no enthusiasm in the entire WordPress sector. It's gone. There used to be sites. There used to be community. There used to be all these things. They killed every bit of that with this draconian sort of uh, authoritarianism while at the same time appealing to all these like virtue signaling matters. Like it's gross and people see through it. It's real obvious. <laughs> but um, so basically just time passed and like, you know, it's, it's hard to, attack a villain for a really long time. Like they just, you know, fatigue sets in after a while, after a couple of years, like that, that whole thing died out by summer 2015. It's like a five year freaking saga. But I mean, the damage to my business had been done over that period of time. It was, it was, you know, they cost me millions of dollars. Just leave it at that. But so I, I had it. my own personal experience with getting canceled. So I felt strongly about it. But then in 2018, the summer of 2018, uh, is when social media and Google and PayPal and these other entities started talking about canceling people and indeed doing it. And so a man named Alex Jones, <laughs> some will know, yeah, some will not. If anyone knows who that is, uh, Alex Jones was the first person to get canceled, high profile cancellation in the summer of 2018. I remember, yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking at the time how his, he's had a web presence when Infowars.com, Prison Planet was another one at the time. They had quite a few properties. They had so much video. They had all of these assets that could have been so valuable and so useful to their audience. But they were all stuck on a website in a way that was not organized. And they, they didn't use social media very smartly. They kind of just did it as a uh, sell something right now. Sort of like, you know, here's the masses, here's my megaphone, just scream out to them. So they weren't using that like to drive people to assets. They were just kind of using it as like a gin them up right now sort of thing. They didn't have a long-term strategy. 
And as a result, when it got canceled, there was nothing for people to like cite or, or point to. I mean, yeah, there's millions of hours of videos for Alex Jones, but it's like, which ones do I pick out and amplify now that he got canceled? Like, what do I want people to see? And a lot of that stuff lived on YouTube or whatever. So they just banned the links to these things so no one could share them. So basically what happens when he gets canceled, he just gets canceled. If, you're, if your primary means of uh, consuming Alex Jones prior to this had been YouTube or Twitter, and he's not available on those platforms anymore, well, 99.5% of people aren't going to go beyond that. He's just not going to see yeah, his content anymore. That's true. That's and true. so he got canceled. And so I'm thinking about this content and like, just think about this, this massive loss, like this audience loss on all these different platforms. Like that sucks. By the way, there was a remote viewing. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but there was a, a remote viewing group out of Hawaii, a major, major one that had hundreds of videos on one platform. I can't remember what it was, uh, where the videos were stored and somebody didn't like something Every video was poofed, literally. I mean, these guys are accurate to a point of, of, of it's scary how accurate it is. And that that could happen like that because it's on some somebody's centralized thing that can disagree with you or something somebody said and you're gone. You're gone. This is the risk. This is the risk. There's twofold risk that people need to understand. You, If your audience is interacting with you through these centralized means, i.e. not on your website, not on your own seminars or whatever. They're interacting with you through YouTube or Twitter. Uh, that's one thing. Okay, you're, you're going to lose them when you get canceled. No question. But if your assets live there and only there, you're going to lose both. Audience plus assets. Brutal. Brutal. That can't happen. So I saw a couple other big cancellations happen, and I realized, I'm like, you have got to post to your site first and then push that publication to Twitter or to Facebook or to wherever, but you've got to have it somewhere that you control first, okay? And you also have to make this known to your audience. Like, I've done this now. I do this. But like, if I got canceled, now I'm not a big enough player to do this, but like, let's say I had people watching my videos all the time. If I were to get canceled, people could provide links to that content on my site and could then publish those on social media where I've been canceled and say, hey, look, you know, here's watch this video from Chris. Watch that one. So the idea is what I call it a mass citation event. If you get canceled, but you have this rabid audience, Give them a place to go where they can get links to your stuff and then push those to, your, to their fans because it's like the Hydra. You chop off one head, three more show up in its place. This is what should happen. Instead, we have like a reverse Hydra where you've got three heads, they chop right. off one, you'd lose the other two also because you've got no redundancy and no way for people to amplify your stuff when you are under attack. Let me give you and an I know example that sounds melodramatic. That's, go ahead. That's very frightening to me. I produced a special on MMS in 2000, I think 13 or 14 before I went to live in Europe. Five years later. And by the way, if I didn't check the back end of YouTube, I would have never known this happened. They gave me a strike. Concocted, this thing is dangerous. You, What you did is dangerous. We took that off the site. We poofed it. And we destroyed the person's site who you interviewed. Took down 
every video the guy ever put up on YouTube. Destroyed everything in sight, okay? It is so terrible. I've even had people I've interviewed, musicians I've interviewed, Tommy James and the Shondells, or uh, jo Joseph Curiel, composer, conductor, arranger, who's played with everybody you've ever heard of probably in your life. Give me the authority to use a piece of their music with its rainmaking time. I always ask permission, okay? I was given a strike for that. I had to go back every oh time and go through hell five years later. This kind of stuff goes on all the time. It's like, it's like um, talk about tyranny. This copyright thing is not just for protection of the copyright creators. There's something going on where stuff can reverse back 10 years. 10 years, five years, where it's retroactive. We're going back. So when you think you publish something in these centralized spaces, what you're saying is right. You better have every your archive of whatever it is that you have. Never sit comfortably on a centralized space ever. Am I, I right? Mean, so I, I saw this. This is so goofy. I don't know how, how well this will relate to the audience, but I mean, I think we've all heard of TikTok. Hopefully we don't use yeah, it. Yeah, my of God. Course. I don't I but, don't use uh, it, but I, I don't know how to use it anyway. You there know. was a girl on TikTok. She was whining. She had 994,000 followers. She got canceled <laughs> by them. I don't remember why she got canceled. Don't care. And she was saying, you guys, you can't just do this. I had over 2,000 videos. I had over 990,000 subscribers. You have to give this back to me. And I'm like, you stupid little girl. You stupid little girl. You've published all these things. You didn't back a single one up. Because your whole outlook is just to pump out as much crap as possible, get these likes, and to get some instant dopamine feedback. You never bothered to think about this as if this is some free ride that you're entitled to just because you can get attention on the internet. You know, good for you. And, um, you know, I just, I just laugh at people like this. I'm like, so, so brain dead here to think that you're owed anything on these platforms. You're, you're just fodder pushing their agenda. And, you know, if you're, if you're willing to whine about losing your content, you should have been equally willing to try and sit, protect it. I'm not interested in it's, hearing people whine about this. It's unbelievable. I think what it is, too, is that a lot of people innocently who don't understand what's really going on and what has been going on had a blind trust in the YouTubes, in the Facebooks, in the Twitter, like a blind trust. Do you know what I mean? And now... Now, everywhere you turn, you're in a minefield of communication. Oh, like I'm doing a piece on gender. I, I, I've already actually shot it and it's done. It's ready to go in October. It's going to come out. Do you know that I should worry if I say that a man is a, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, that I, everything, not just that show can be canceled on YouTube, if it's there, on Facebook, on Twitter, but everywhere. Imagine that. I shot this very, I mean, that I should have to worry about it. That's how serious things have become. Well, I mean, I'd even mentioned the uh, payment system cancellations. You know, PayPal canceled Alex Jones. He can't make any money through PayPal anymore. Uh, some of these alternative, there's another guy, Andrew Tate, recently got canceled. He can't get on PayPal. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got to go through some very l laborious means to get his money, to even have money, to have any holdings. It's not like actual cash. Uh, it's brutal to be canceled by these online banking systems. You know, Chase Bank won't issue, uh, they, they've engaged in censorship with cardholders. I didn't I, I didn't realize that, but it wouldn't surprise me because, yeah, I'm not going to mention it because that'll be immediate cancellation. 
Yeah. I mean, Square, I would imagine Stripe, that some of these would. other payment operators, you know, they're all aligned. Really? Square too? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. as far as I know, everybody's, if you have more than five employees, you're in this boat pretty much. It's so brutal. It's so brutal. But um, anyway, I was going to make but a point But what you here. created, what you created, talk about that to deal with the cancellation. Because well, I it's thought just, that it's, was really It's called cool Focus OmniTweet. You can run it if you run Focus. But it's basically just a Twitter timeline for your website. So you just publish there. It's got an edit button. Everyone wants an edit button on Twitter. Well, you got an edit button with OmniTweet. So you compose your stuff. What I think is really cool about it, though, is that uh, I've noticed, and you may notice this too, like back in the days of blogging, we used to actually blog. But blogging now doesn't, it, it's a, it's sort of like- not, It's not what it was. If we want to drive from A to B, we mm -hmm. just drive straight from A to B. But blogging now is like A to Z to X to T, and then finally to B. It's not a straight line anymore because you've got to publish it. Then you've got to promote it on socials. You've got to send an email out to your list to try and drive people back to your site. So like if you publish a blog post just to get it seen, you've got to do all this extra crap. I got news for you. If I want to post on Twitter, I just post and it gets seen. Which one do you think I'm more likely to engage in over time? I noticed for me personally, I've done like 100,000 tweets in the last 12 years and about six blog posts. So it's very clear for me where I'm going to be producing content and where I'm not going to be. And I, I also don't like this idea that I might be wasting my time on social media. So I do try to post stuff of value. But um, what, what has emerged over the last 10 years is this idea of threaded tweets, threads. Threads are strings of multiple tweets together to convey a lot more complex idea than you can convey in 280 characters alone. And so I baked into OmniTweet this ability to create threads as well. And what's, what happens magically when you create a thread with Focus OmniTweet, it magically turns into a page on your site that, can, that has so a cool. link and it can be um, optimized. You can add sales pitches at the end or in the middle of the content or out to the side or wherever you want. You add a title. You can give it a perfect URL for search engines. This is now the way we compose content for our sites. I'm not going to go create a blog post, but I will fire off tweet after tweet. And every once a week, I might do a thread, which turns into a page for my site. And lo and behold, I get it. Wow, that's growing. brilliant. That's really brilliant. I like that because it, it's true what you're saying. The blogosphere is different now. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just all that old it's stuff. Different. We got to let it go. It's all dead. It's all dead. There's still plenty of things that we want to create that we will have to promote and drive traffic to, like any good landing page for conversions, things like this. That will be its primary purpose of existence, and we will have to drive traffic to it. But most of the content, we want to be seen right away. We want to be engaged with right away. We want to get that feedback right away to either continue to build our audience, just to get that dopamine rush, whatever. But clearly, we're going to operate in these higher attention modes and less in these low attention uh, high, uh, I don't know, like high background work, sort of like farming, right? You got to do all this crap before you can reap the gains of your crop. We don't want to do that anymore. We hate this. We want instant gratification. So we're absolutely gravitating in these directions all the time. The trick is to make it work for us in as many ways as possible so that it's not just throwaways. You don't want to wake way, up I wanna... and have to, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel every single day. I love it that I love that you get online and you teach, by the way, uh, with your videos. I, I feel it's, like I have to. <laughs> you, it's very important. I mean, it's, it's very uh, inviting. It's attractive. It's necessary, obviously. 
but it really makes a difference. The teaching makes a difference. And I think it'll bring a lot more people online to you and to what you're, the space you're offering. The time is coming, but uh, we'll see when it is. I, I predicted 2018, I was way ahead. Still hasn't happened. Some of these uh, turnings that I, I thought were probably imminent um, haven't really hit. But we have a, so like you've, you've seen the US debt clock in New York City, probably, right? You've seen this thing, it ticks and it's got this ominous thing. It's 50 digits long because our debt is, you know, trillions of dollars or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> there, there's sort of an invisible technical debt clock ticking on all WordPress websites. And WordPress is doubling down and making this worse and has done so every quarter since the last quarter of 2018, WordPress has continued to introduce things that are making WordPress websites slower, more complex, and harder to manage. So they completely lost the plot. And all they're doing is quickening this event horizon that's looming where even people who did a good, decent job of running like a simple-ish website are going to reach a point and say, you know what, I can't, I can't do anything simple anymore. This sucks. I'm over. I'm done. What 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 about uh, sorry to what about other types of CMS? Say say to the audience what a CMS is, like uh, Joomla, this one, that one. Yeah, what what a content management system is. It's instead of writing code in a file and having that code appear on the internet somewhere. Like that's a really antiquated uh, medium through which to do this. Instead, you have an app that runs on your website. You type something in, it gets saved to a database. And then can be pulled up later as a web page, as something else. That's a content management system. So the presence of a database in this transaction of, hey, I'm in your browser. I'm asking for this page. Database sends it back. That mechanism is endemic to a content management system. That's the idea of the system. And as, as opposed to just hand editing files that run on a server, which is the most basic way internet can happen. And what happened to the, there was news for years, there's going to be HTML5. Are we there already? Has it? Is yeah, that HTML5 and CSS3 happened in essentially 2012, 2013. Okay. And could focus be developed or should focus be developed for other CMS systems besides WordPress? Or is that too much of a development? No, there's no hurdle. point in that at all because okay. no content management systems are worth a shit. Not one. They're all terrible. Wow. Everyone that exists is bad. And the ones that are emerging or have emerged since 2012 have all been predicated on, I'm going to say, a bed of lies. And I'll be more descriptive than just a bed of lies. But what happens in software and software development is just like what happens in fashion, trends. Trends mm -hmm. rule the day. The, the sad truth is that most of the people who practice software development, have no business doing so, have no formal fundamental educational knowledge of what computer science is, how software is supposed to work, what these things are supposed to look like. And actually, this I remember the point I wanted to, to get back to earlier. <laughs> I'll have to do this. It's about systems and the way the importance we assign to them and how we see them and perceive them. So I do want to jump back into that after making this point. But I, I lost my own train of thought here with the damn systems tangent. But uh, that's okay. You know, so the people that's that build okay. websites aren't well versed in any of this stuff, and so they 
the, the less well-versed you are, the less rooted you are in fundamentals, the more susceptible you are to trends because you think, well, if this is where everybody's looking, this must be the direction I'm supposed to be looking as well. And that has led to an environment of very quick mass adoption of new technologies like JavaScript-based websites, websites that don't even work with uh, URL structures like, that something like Google understands. So literally websites, something emerged in like uh, 2016, 17, 18, React, Vue, all these JavaScript-driven websites, they didn't even work with search engines. They had to develop all these ways to get the sites to have URLs that could be uh, indexed in search engines so these sites could actually win through search as well. So there's a whole new way of building websites that everybody adopted, but it didn't even do fundamental stuff correctly. It was mind-boggling to watch this take off and very annoying because I'm just like, wow, everyone's a dumbass. Everyone doesn't get it. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so maddening to watch everyone be wrong. It's, it's, it's something to see, but it's just herd behavior. And it For really sure, herd behavior. behavior. It's a lot it going on with herd behavior internet. even now. <laughs> going back to an earlier theme, you can't really see certainly not in totality, everything that's happening behind the scenes with code. And because you can't see it, you can't audit it very easily. And if you can't audit it, you get these situations where you get these widespread like hysteria-based adoptions, sort of like the tulip, uh, the tulip bubble in the Netherlands in the 1600s. Like we're really going to throw all our money at tulips? Like this thing's going to wilt in two weeks. I could have told you this is a bad idea before we did this. But um, <laughs> that's been something to see. But that's, that, that all the development has been on these uh, fad JavaScript frameworks that don't work with the fundamentals of internet. To get those to run, you actually have a very, a very idiosyncratic server environment, which has increased the technical requirements to get started and the complexity. So it's, it's actually made it worse that a situation I described in 2005 has gotten worse, not better, because of these trends in software uptake. Like, it's unbelievable. So when you say, should I develop Focus for these other things? The answer is, it's not really compatible because Focus is written in PHP. Now I could kind of remix it in JavaScript and work with these other fad frameworks. And then other stuff that's written in PHP, like Drupal is one that's a competitor right. to WordPress. And there's been others. They just, none of them do it right. Drupal is better than WordPress in terms of like its uh, implementation of actual computer science principles, but it still fails miserably. It was done in a way that like, I mean, this, uh, this, is, this kind of, murky territory but like i have a pretty good artistic side as well as being an engineer somebody who's no artistic side at all that's who built drupal so it's like it doesn't have any creative vision it's just very technical and fundamental and like not it's not bright it's like a shade of gray right you need creativity to to, to add the life to a thing and so really it's like, it's like they got it almost half right, but because it doesn't have any creative life, the thing doesn't have any personality, it's not really real. So it's a crappy piece of software. So software becomes an interesting thing. It can't just be code. It's not that raw. It needs this creative side too. And that, and unfortunately, that is a very rare marriage, almost non-existent. I can think of a couple of examples through the years, but it's, it's scant. Do you so have people that, you can talk to that are at your level of uh, no, not only the thinking no, and it's that terrible. must be, I mean, there must be an isolation level for you because uh, you're kind of a pioneer. You are a pioneer. You're not just a creative and an entrepreneur. You're pioneering something at a whole systems level. And 
Other people aren't there. I feel like I'm pioneering something at a whole systems level, not having to do with the show. I get it. I teach it, but people aren't there. The whole system thing yeah. is very appealing to me. I uh, actually have parts of a book written. It's called The Fundamental Principles of System Design. I'm not a very sexy Fabulous. name. This is supposed to be like a, a tome for really how to think. And uh, people really are poor at holistic systems thinking. Um, people don't understand what the way systems work and like what rules are valid and which ones are not. People don't even understand what are rules. What's the point of rules? What's the purpose of rules? I uh, set up whole systems ventures and businesses for other, help them do that for other people. But I want to, not to interrupt you, but to tell you this one other thing, which is that um, uh, now I just completely went blank. <laughs> Comple oh, you have Ilya Prigogine Center. He was a physicist who worked on whole systems right in Austin, Texas. He's passed on now, but you should check out Ilya Prigogine. Yeah, that sounds good. I like yeah, anything he's like right, that. right there. I mean, he was world-renowned in, in physics and whole systems. So this thing about systems is super important. Yeah. This is the point I wanted to make earlier that I remembered. And it's an interesting phenomenon that as we develop, like when we're, when we're kids, we really just naturally apply this like skeletal framework over our lives. Could be church, school, the police, traffic lights. There's all these indications, visual indications, little snapshots that suggest the presence of a larger network or system around us, like scaffolding, invisible scaffolding that sort of dictates the latitude we have in our lives. And we all are taught as children to accept these things and not really to question them. We just operate within them. And if we go too long without questioning the legitimacy or the necessity or the efficacy of these things, if we go too long without engaging those basic, like cynical mechanisms, uh, we end up just taking this stuff for granted and, and just taking, swallowing whatever we're given throughout our lives. I think I had a notion as a child that adults somehow like got out of this, this modality and sort of became a little bit more independent operators. And that's been one of the big shocks of my adult life is that that's not true at all. In fact, people probably become even more entrenched and less um, flexible operators because their perceptions of the systems that run the world around them. And this perception affects technology in a big way, it big creates time. these trends that I spoke about because we think, well, if all these people are looking in this direction, this suggests the presence of a force driving us in this direction, and I better hitch my wagon to this thing or I'm going to get left behind. That mechanism never bothers to ask, is this effective? Is this fundamental? Is this correct? Is this the best we can do? Do we even need this? So these, these natural checks right. that happen in science and engineering when it's done properly just get thrown out the window when people don't really understand the systems happening in the world around them and when nobody's questioning them. And it's just so They tend to be invisible like the back end of the website. Exactly. That's why. That's why right? it's so challenging. And this is the thing I want to suggest is sort of like to help people like not just nod their head at the stuff I'm saying, but to say, ah, this is gospel. I must go live this now. You got to understand that if you are feeling pushback against the things I'm saying, it's because you are responding to systems that you perceive to be bigger. 
They're not. They're broken. The systems you think are bigger are broken. I'm here telling you, trying to help you get out of this. Please listen. Please listen. But, very articulate. Very articulate. I mean, for many people, it's going to be a profound message. Okay. Because really, it's kind of like finding out that it's almost like finding, thinking and feeling you're free when you're really imprisoned and finding out that you've been imprisoned for the first yes, time. Yes. I don't think that's too hyperbolic. That's literally how I feel about technology. No, I mean, for sure. For sure. It's 100% I mean, how I feel. I feel like people who have been I feel similar. and didn't cover their own ass, they've been jailed. I feel like people who reach a point with their websites where they feel hopeless, I feel like they've had the wool pulled over their eyes and they've kind of been duped. Um, I think they've been duped by developers. They've been duped by systems. They've been duped by fads. They've been duped by everything. They've been gaslit just by everything that has occurred. And, you know, they've not been able to, if, even if a savior came along, they may not have been able to hear that savior just because of the, the <laughs> presence of all of these things. It's such a brutal reality that everybody's facing with websites. And I have, I have deep compassion for this. Like I, I can do it. I can figure all this stuff out. Most people probably cannot, but we all have to do this thing. You know, I'm one guy. There's a bil billion websites out there. Obviously, the need or the will to do this is there, but the, uh, the amount of rakes everybody's stepping on and bashing themselves in the face, like I can only take so much. Like we got to get out of this. We got to move in a positive direction, get people able to do this. Something as simple as creating a Word document should not be anxiety inducing. You should just sit down and crank that thing out like you would a tweet. It needs to be that simple. Also, managing the back end, like, mm. you know, developing a site, like I moved, it's rain making time to a migration site, not to go into the whole thing or whatever, not into a, um, a staging site, oh, but it's Lord, there. Yeah. That, like, how do you develop on top of something that's there? Or do I have to get rid of it and start from scratch? No, staging sites, I mean, they're smart. I, I hate them. Candidly, I hate them. Uh, the reason I hate them, I don't like to do things two times. I just want to do it once. So I'm just doing a live mm -hmm. site, move it over, turn it up, crank it up, whatever. There might be problems. We'll smooth those out over time. But I know that the action I'm taking on my live site, if I solve the problem, it's solved. A lot of times with staging servers, this or that or the other will be different. You will move something over. You will have new problems when it's on the live site. So you will have troubleshot some things on the staging server, but you still have when it's go time. Still got to get it right on the live site. So I got I'm just a, I'm just a take as few actions as possible kind of maximalist. <laughs> <laughs> I so you. I don't bother, I but I also, I also know everything that's going on. So take that with a grain of salt. Like, you know, if sure. there's a problem, I know exactly what to do to solve it. I have all the tools at my disposal to solve it. So sure. I would like to invite you back for more conversation. There's more to discuss here, but I think we should, if there's anything else you'd like to share, like you shared, we have a few more minutes, like three why don't you Let's see here. something I mean, else? There's so much more to say. We could say this is part one with Chris Pearson from DIY Themes. That's right. I think next time think? we should talk about um, basic system stuff because I think once it, it, it just introduces a bunch of models that people can use to apply to whatever situation they are in. Systems don't care about like this or that vertical. Specifics don't matter. It's really just about understanding like, ah, if I do this, this also creates this. And, and we never see that. Like these cost-benefit analysis, like you hear about this in school and stuff like that, but people are trash at cost-benefit analysis. And <laughs> we need tools 
to help us with this. Like I've developed ways to be better at this after acknowledging like, hey, I kind of suck at cost benefit analysis. I kept only seeing benefits, digging myself big holes, and then having projects lose momentum because I did not understand full cost benefit analysis. And so- that would be awesome. That would be awesome to have that also that additional conversation with you. And uh, yeah, that's a whole nother whole thing. I mean, yeah, I know, but it's important problem. and it's, it's guiding, it's guiding what you built. It's part of whole systems. And uh, it, I think it would really further the thinking of those who have solutions yes, to bring. Indeed. Oh, so I do have one thing. All right. Well, I'll, I'll sure. have one last thing. Sure. So on my website, yeah. if you go to DIY themes, dot com diy themes t-g-m-e-s uh at the top of the, the home page now i put a new little bit of content up there that gets you into part one of my seven part content series on how to build a successful website in the age of social media the whole point of this series is not to sell my software I made this because people need to be educated on how the internet has changed how user behaviors have changed it's how we open this discussion uh, I think if anyone wants to get you know deeper into that, just get into this little email sequence. You read one thing on the site, then you get six emails, one per day with skills. So like actual things you can do. And then also insights like, oh, you need to understand this so that you stop making these mistakes, like how to make decisions with your website. That's what this little content series will teach people. I even have a lot of visuals. Like I have a video where I show them how to create a sales page and all that stuff. So it really goes deep. And explores these topics that people need to understand about the way things work now. And it's really probably That's even really better for people that knew how stuff worked back in the day, because you know, we, we have to engage every every so often we have to engage in something I call unthinking, which is a harder, more disciplined thing than just like learning a new concept. It's really hard to unthink and achieve clarity and move ahead. But that's exactly what is called for now because things have changed so much. And so I I made a whole little content sequence to help guide people through that process. So I think if you're into that, you'll really appreciate this. I put a lot of time into this and include some of the teaching stuff that I've done that you kind of uh, referenced earlier. So maybe people will. I really, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your work. I appreciate your struggle. I appreciate what you're standing for, what you've developed, which I'm about to enter (laughs) as soon as I can figure out where to put the stuff. (laughs) But thank you so much for coming to its rainmaking time and, and helping uh, educate the masses. I appreciate it. Thanks well, you're so welcome, much, Kim. Thank you very much for having me. This was fun God to do. You. And uh, yeah, I, fun. I, I love the passion to riff on these topics. I love. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, you will keep coming to its rainmaking as it is until. Kim Greenhouse is further along in learning focus and OmniTweet and uh, perhaps uh, we'll meet other people who are working with it as well, who I can call upon if I have difficulties, you know, as a, as oh, a yeah. person in the space. Like I said, it's, it's all patternized. It's all easy now. So any questions you have, I got answers. Okay. Thank you so much. It's rainmaking time. God bless. Mm-hmm.